you'll turn in your Bibles this morning to Deuteronomy chapter 32. We're going to look at the first 14 verses in that uh, passage of Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 32. What we're looking at this morning is Moses' song. He spoke this to the children of Israel just prior to uh, his death. There was one other time when he spoke to them after this, but this is close, very close to the end of his life. And it's a, it's a song. And it's an interesting song in the fact that it's in two parts. The first part is the first 14 verses, and it's really about praise to God. And then the second part, which is 29 verses, is about Israel's response to what they know about God and who he is. And the fact was that Israel ignored uh, our Lord, and uh, as a result of that, there were consequences that took place. And Moses described them as very unwise and foolish people for what they did. Now, what we're going to do this morning is look at the first 14 verses and see uh, what it says about uh, God there. We're going to start, actually, in the verse prior to that, uh, chapter 31, verse number 30. This is what it says, and I'm going to read you a couple verses. It says this. Then Moses spoke in the hearing of all the assembly of Israel the words of this song until they were ended. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as raindrops on the tender herb and as showers on the grass. We're going to stop right there this morning because I want to introduce this uh, song to you. I, I like rainy days. I know I have talked to some people in the congregation here who agree with me, but I suspect that most of you do not. But for me, uh, rainy days are very, very enjoyable, especially in the spring and in the summer. And if it's a weekend when I tend to have a little more time, you may find me in my garage sitting on a lawn chair with the garage door open, looking out across, uh, there's a field there, and I can look across the field, and just watching the raindrops fall, listening to the sound, and I think the thing that I enjoy the most is the, the fresh air. It just seems like, to me, that um, the air is so clean, and it's just so refreshing. And when Moses is talking here in these two verses, that's what he's saying about this song that he is about ready to present to them. He wants these people, as they hear his words, to be refreshed by what God is uh, going to teach them in these words of Scripture that we have today. And he uses a different illustration than what I just used. In verse number two, he talks about, uh, I'll read it to you, let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as raindrops on the tender herb and as flowers on the grass. Now, we live in an agricultural area, and we have all heard these conversations and have been a part of them, where maybe it's July or August, and the rain has not fallen for a few weeks. Uh, 
And the farmers, some of you farming here, uh, you are concerned because you haven't had the rain and the crops need it and it would be um, good if it happened soon. And you actually sometimes have prayer requests, whether it be in your Sunday school class or some other place, but you pray that God will provide the rain that's needed for those crops that come about. And I think it was last year, it may have been another year, but it may have been last year as well. I remember after our praying about this that God provided the rain. And it came in such a way where it just wasn't a big uh huge amount of rain just hit it all all at the same time and it just kind of ran away into the ditches and that and the streams but it just was a steady rain over a period of a few days and I began to think you know that's the perfect kind of rain for what these farmers would want because there's not this runoff that's taking place it's saturating the ground and it's going to be great for those plants that uh, are being grown. And I can, I, I'm not a farmer, but I can imagine the relief that takes place when that rain falls. And especially when you realize this is enough. And it's a sigh. It's uh, a refreshing to know my crops are probably going to be good this year because God has provided that rain. And I believe that's similar to the illustration that Moses is using here in this song when he's talking about the raindrops on the herbs there, that there's a sense of refreshment that comes from it. And he's comparing this to something. And he finally gets around to telling us in verse 3, what is the refreshment that we can have? Look at verse number 3 with me. It says this, for I proclaim the name of the Lord. We have a refreshment that we can have all of the time, and that is our God. And the fact is, the more we get to know him, and the more that we love him, the more we recognize he is the source of what refreshes me all the time. And I can have that consistent refreshment if I know the name of the Lord. He then spends the next uh, 10 verses or so uh, talking about different characteristics of God. And that's what we're going to look at today and see who is this God that we're talking about that brought refreshment to the children of Israel and still brings refreshment to us as well. So let's pray, and then we're going to start in verse number 14, or verse number 4. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for uh, what we've heard this morning in church here, grateful for the songs and the opportunity that we've had to praise you in song. And now we're going to look at a song that Moses wrote uh, thousands of years ago, and it's a song of refreshment, especially at the beginning. And we're thankful that as we go through this and look at some of the characteristics that you have, those characteristics are unchanging, they're still today, and they are characteristics that can be a refreshment to us each day. And may, as we walk out of here today, we be refreshed because of hearing your word this day, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Look at me, uh, actually, verse number three, and we'll start there and start looking at some of these characteristics. Notice what it says in verse number three. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, or to my God. 
God is great. If I make that statement, uh, there's a picture that comes to my mind that truly isn't a complete or accurate picture of what this is describing here. So when I think of God's greatness, I think of God's omnipotence. And uh, even one of the footnotes in my Bible here describes this phrase as God's omnipotence, his power in our life. But if I only think of God that way, that he is the creator of the universe, he is bigger than this universe, he is different from us, he is trans, a transcendent God. When I, when I think of all those different things, it doesn't necessarily draw me closer to God. It's almost like God is this vast person that in, in some ways seems incomprehensible to me. And, uh, and there's not the nearness of the way I just thought of it. Everything I said to you is true. Uh, he is a transcendent God. He is bigger than his creation. And he is eternal. But there's way more to God's greatness than just that. And I found it interesting as I was studying this passage that um, I, I went back through the book of Deuteronomy and looked up every place where the phrase greatness or great was used. And it's used about four or five different places in Deuteronomy, and each one is a little bit different. And it's really important for us, I think, to get the idea of what this means, God is great, by looking at those other passages of Scripture. So I want you to um, hold your place there, but look at uh, chapter 11, verse number 2. Chapter 11, verse number 2. Look what it says. Know today that I do not speak with your children who have not known and who have not seen the chastening of the Lord your God, his greatness and his mighty hand and his outstretched arms or arm. Let's uh, stop there for just a second. So Moses says, I'm not speaking to some of you. You were too young to experience this. You were born in the wilderness, and you did not go through the experiences that some of the older ones here have gone through. But those of you who are older, do you remember the times when God showed his greatness and his chastening power? And it wasn't the chastening of Israel so much, although one incident was, but... um, he, he describes then in the next few verses what he's talking about. Look at uh, verse number three there. His signs and his acts, which he did in the midst of Egypt, to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to all his land. What he did to the army of Egypt, to the horses and their chariots, how he made the waters of the Red Sea overflow them as they pursued you, and how the Lord was destroy, uh, has destroyed them to this day, what he did for you in the wilderness until the till he came to this place, and what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, the son of Reuben, how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, their households, their tents, and their substance that was in their possessions in the midst of all Israel. Stopping there, let's uh, think about uh, the three illustrations he gives. We know the story of the ten plagues. Can you imagine being an Israelite at that time? You're living in the land of Goshen, You are close to where the Egyptians live, but you're not exactly where they live. And God is putting these plagues on the Egyptians, but it's not happening in your territory. 
And all of a sudden, the waters turn to blood where the Egyptians live. But you can go to your well or you can look at your stream and it's not there. And the flies and the lice and all the other things that made up those plagues, it was happening on the land of Egypt, but not where you're living. And you're, you're watching this thinking, wow, this is awesome. This is unbelievable. I can't believe this is happening. That was because of the greatness of God. And it brought a, an awesomeness to those people as they viewed that. And he goes on then and talks about the second story. Remember when you left Egypt finally and you went out into uh, uh, the wilderness a little ways and you came to the Red Sea. And all of a sudden it opens up and you go across on dry ground. And then you witness the chastening of the Lord as that water comes back together and destroys Pharaoh's army. And this powerful Pharaoh, who had you in bondage for a long period of time, has just lost his power. He will never be a threat to you again because of what happened there when God displayed his awesome power on Egypt at that time. And you were witnesses to that. That's what he's describing. And thinking back to uh, the first story I told you about uh, the fact that these plagues are hitting Egypt but not Goshen reminded me of something I almost forgot to tell you. Several years ago, it was before I came here, it was when I was in Newark, Ohio, um, our church there sponsored a mission trip and several from our church went to Mexico. And it was an evangelistic one, but most of the people on the trip did not speak very much Spanish, if any at all. And so they took with them a film that had been uh, translated into Spanish, and it was a movie about Jesus. In fact, uh, it may have been just called Jesus, but it was an evangelistic movie. And they would set it, go into a village, and they would set up a projector screen in their projector, and then they would show that. And there was a missionary there that after that took place, the missionary could speak uh, to the people who, from the village who came to see that film. And there was one particular uh, evening that really grabbed their attention, and they were the, when they came back, they were so excited about what they saw regarding God's control of nature and his awesomeness. That evening, they looked out in the distance and they saw clouds, and they were coming toward them, and they knew it was going to rain. And they began to pray that God would stop the rain so they could have their meeting that night. And off just a little way, distance away from where they set up was their van. And they said the rain came to their van and stopped. And they were able to show the movie that night, and everybody saw it and, uh, and heard a gospel presentation, but it didn't rain one drop where they were, but 50 feet away it was raining. And that experience dramatically changed them, and they came back testifying of God's awesomeness, God's greatness there. Imagine again the fact that the plagues come to right here, and I live here, and it doesn't hit me. That is one of the descriptions given here of God's greatness in, uh, in chapter 11, verse 2. Another thing that it mentions there, the third story, is about Abiram. 
And uh, we remember that story a little bit, and it tells you right there what happened. The earth opens up, and two families, two men and their families, go down in the earth. All their dwellings go into the earth, and then it comes back together. I would describe that as an earthquake that took place that opened the ground. And uh, I have... Uh, I wouldn't say it's a privilege, but I've been in an earthquake one time out in California, and it was, uh, it was a, an awesome experience. It was a nerve-wracking experience for that ground underneath you to be shaking. It was unnerving. But can you imagine being 15, 20 feet away, 50 feet away, and the ground opens up, and these families go in, and it closes back out, up, and they're gone, and you're fine? and you just witnessed this happening, there were people like that. And Moses is describing that to them in this chapter. And he's saying that was God's greatness in how he chastened the people. And he still does that today. And there have been a couple times in my life where I've looked and thought, you know what, I really believe God was chasing this person in a severe way, and I have had the opportunity to witness this. And what a caution to me not to do what that person did. And so that's part of God being great. Now let's look over to chapter 9 in, verse number, in uh, Deuteronomy, verse number 26. Let's see another aspect of God's greatness. Chapter 9, verse number 26, it says this, Therefore I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord God, Do not destroy your people and your inheritance, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. So God's greatness here um, is in verse number uh, 26 is how he redeemed them through his greatness. He brought them out of Egypt with his mighty hand. And God's power changed the heart of Pharaoh. And this stubborn, hard-hearted man who said no nine times and finally said yes only to change his mind again and say, no, I'm going after you, yet God changed his heart and brought the people out. And God still changes hearts today. And that's a part of his greatness. Look at chapter 5, verse number 24. See another way it's used here. Chapter 5, verse number 24, it says this, And you said, Surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness. We have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man, yet he still lives. And here's a time, I believe it's a reference to Mount Sinai, and they have heard his voice, and they're surprised we still live. Because how does a holy God have, a, uh, have um, a way to have a relationship or a fellowship with people who are completely unholy? As I thought of this this week, I thought of the fact of God being holy and pure. And if you have something holy or something pure and you add impurity to it, that purity becomes impure. So if I have water here, and over here I have dirty water, all I have to do is put a couple drops of the dirty water there, and nobody in this room is going to drink this water over here. 
And yet God, if we think of it that way and think of God being pure and we being unholy, impure, how do we have a relationship with God? And it's because of God's redemption that took place uh, through Jesus Christ. And so now we become pure because of, as we sing in his robes for mine, of the exchange that took place on the cross that led us or allowed us to become pure and holy in the sight of God. And it's because of God's redemption that that takes place. And God is great because of the way he has provided redemption for us and changed us into a holy people. And then the last one, found in chapter 3, verse number 24. It says this, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on the earth who can do things like your works and your mighty deeds? There's a comparison here of the one true God to other gods. And he says, God, you are great. And I have just learning, I'm just learning a little bit about you. Isn't that wonderful about God that even now we can know things from Scripture, but Scripture still comes alive every day if we study it. We learn something new. And we can look at the same, I mean, this Deuteronomy 32 I, have, I don't know how many times I've read this. I've read this lots of times in my life. And yet, uh, looking at it a couple weeks ago, I saw some things new, and I'm presenting them to you right now. And this happens all the time. And that's refreshing. And it's because of God's greatness that that happens. And you know what? I'm convinced that we're, when we get to heaven, we're going to have experiences like this through eternity, learning more and more and more about him and him becoming a more awesome and great God in our eyes because we're ever learning more. And when I think of that way, what we've just talked about, the idea of God being great is much bigger than what I thought before. And that's the first characteristic that um, Moses talks about in this song. But we get to verse number four, and he mentions another characteristic as well. It says, he is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. He is, God is unchanging. He is the rock as it's first described there. And it goes on to describe him as perfect and righteous and so on. But it's certainly not a coincidence that he starts with, he is the rock, he is stable, he is the source of our stability as well. And uh, uh, in, in the fact that he is the source of our security because he is a stable, unchanging God. If we look at that more carefully in that verse, I think the next phrase says, his work is perfect. His work, let's think of his creation. His creation is perfect. His creation is also stable. Think of the practical, um, one simple practical thing. We have a culture right now that really talks about climate change. And uh, if we don't uh, change our ways that this earth is going to be uh, burned up in however many hundred years, it's going to be gone. And I think every one of us in this room says, not going to happen. It isn't. 
Because God is the one who's going to determine how long this earth lasts. It will not be because of uh, what we do to destroy this earth. It will be about what God chooses to do or has already chosen to do with this earth. And I don't have to worry about that. Should I take care of this uh, planet that God has given to us? Sure, based on the creation mandate found in Genesis, we ought to be good caretakers of this planet. But I don't have to go to sleep worrying about what's going to happen in the future. Are my kids or grandkids still going to have a planet here? I don't have to think that way. Because we serve an unchanging God who has provided stability even in his creation, according to what it says here in this verse. He has also provided his stability in his redeeming work through Jesus Christ. It is permanent. I don't have to worry if I'm going to lose my salvation or not. It is not dependent on whether I said the right words or said it the right way or that I truly mean it. It is all about what God did in my salvation and in trusting in what he did. And because of that, it is a redeeming work that gives me stability in my life because he is the rock. He is the unchanging God. It tells us also in that verse, his ways are just, are just. Man's justice is not like God's. I'll give you an illustration of this. Uh, a couple months ago, first semester of school, I took my government class to the Hancock County Courthouse. And they were able to uh, witness a, a sentencing hearing and a plea uh, hearing as well. And we went to Judge Starnes' uh, court. I had never met Judge Starnes before, but frankly, I was really impressed with him. I found him to be a judge who was very compassionate. And so both men who stood before him, one being sentenced and one who was about ready to plead guilty, in both cases, he showed real compassion to them. But he also was just as well. And in the one case, it was a young man who was addicted to drugs at the time, and he went into Menards, stole something from the store in order to sell it so he could get, make money for his drugs. And he got caught, he was arrested, they put him in a drug rehabilitation place, and that was six months earlier, and he seemed to be clean of the drugs now, and he had passed plenty of drug tests over the last uh, uh, few months. And he was very polite, which you should be to a judge, and he, uh, he yes sir, and so on, and agreed with everything the judge said. And he was going to have to come back in a few months for his sentencing hearing, but I suspect he was going to get some probation just like the other one got probation as well. And so I saw compassion, but this man who stole from uh, Menards, he had to make restitution, and he did. And there were other things that he had to accomplish, which he did, and there was justice served. But there are times when it's not so easy. What happens when a crime involves the loss of life or something permanently lost? How do you bring justice about? There are laws that we have, man-made laws, but sometimes those laws, they're not severe enough for what took place. Or maybe they're too severe and this person doesn't deserve to be in prison for X amount of years. Man's justice is not perfect. God's is. 
And it will always be perfect, and it always has been. And that is something that can be, bring stability to my life. I know that God is just. I may not like it when I sin, but at least it helps me to comprehend the fact that sometimes my consequences are the result of my sin and what I've done. And as a result, I deserve what's happening to me. And God is compassionate, and God is gracious and merciful to me, but he's also just, because he's a rock, and what he says is always true. There's a third characteristic that we find here um, also, but before we get to it, there's an interlude that takes place. Look at verse number 5, and Moses turns the attention away from God back to Israel. And look what it says. They have corrupted themselves. They are not his children. Because of their blemish, a perverse and crooked generation. So here we have a people who are very different from the God that they worship and their God. They're very different from him. They are crooked. They are perverse. And so are we. But he immediately goes right back to verse number 6 and begins to talk more about who God is. And he says this, Do you thus deal with the Lord, O you foolish and unwise people? He is, not your, is he not your father who bought you? Has he not made you and established you? So the third characteristic of a God that he talks about here is God is our father. And he uses the word unwise and foolish. This is God your father and you're treating him in an unwise and foolish way. Why would you do that? And when I look at the word unwise there, frankly, it seems to me in our English language, that's not strong enough. Somebody is unwise, okay, they're not as wise as somebody else, but okay, they're just unwise. That's not the meaning here. Um, there's a word that I did not want my children to use, and some of you have taught your children, don't use this word. But it really, a good illustration would be the word stupid. Okay? How could you be like this? How could you be that unwise that way? When you have a father who is like what I've described so far and what he's about ready to continue to describe, how foolish for you as a nation to turn from him. When you look at verse uh, six, it also describes God in another way. It says, he bought you, he made you, he established you. And why would you treat him such a way when he's done these things for you? Now, this is a reference to Egypt. He bought them, he brought them out of Egypt, he redeemed them from Egypt, and then he made them a strong nation. Not only did he make them a strong nation, he established them to the point that they became strong enough to accomplish his will that when they went into the wilderness, they had the ability to take, uh, not the wilderness, into the promised land. They had the ability to take all those people and get rid of all those people out of the promised land if they simply obeyed God. They were a strong enough nation to do that. But we know today God still redeems us. He has bought us with the blood of Jesus Christ. And he did create us. That's why we exist. And he also establishes us. We call it sanctification. 
And he's still establishing us right now. And he's giving us the ability to do and accomplish what he wants us to accomplish in this life. And aren't we grateful that we have a God, a Father like that? And this Father is one who also is everlasting. As I thought of this, I thought about uh, my own dad. Um, he, um, he had a great ability to create and make things. And so there was a time several years ago, 30 years ago, where I called him and said, Dad, I need something for the school. And it wasn't Heritage, it was Licking County Christian Academy. Uh, we have all the sheet music in the music room, and we need a way to store it properly. Could you make me a, a piece of furniture, and, uh, and I knew it was going to be made out of steel, that uh, would work well, and I described it to him. And he had access, access to a steel that was vinyl-coated on one side. And so he uh, used his abilities, and he created this really nice-looking piece of uh, furniture that had little drawers on it, and you could pull it out and get your sheets of music, and then the next student can come up and pull their drawer out and get their little sheets of music as well. And it was there in that school for years and years. It may still be there. I don't know. But uh, he created that. But there came a time when he grew old, and he couldn't do it anymore. And so I stopped asking him to do things like that. He could still visualize, but he simply didn't have the ability to work. And then there came a point when he died. But my Heavenly Father never dies. My Heavenly Father has the ability to do everything. And I don't have to worry about, uh, is he getting too old to do this? He never grows old. And I can go to him, and I can ask what I want from him, or ask, and it shall be given to you, and ask in the right way. But I can ask, and he provides for me all the time. Why would I be so foolish and so unwise to turn away from a father like that? But Israel did that, and so do we. And Moses is getting across to us, and he's going to describe us later on in the chapter how wicked we are before God. But you know what? God is refreshing to us. And we've looked at some of the ways he's refreshing so far, but we've got a couple more before I'm done. The fourth one, back to Deuteronomy 32, verses 10 through 14. God keeps me. Look at verse number uh, 10. It says this, He found him in a desert land, in the wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him, he instructed him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. And then it will go on in the other verses, and I will use a little bit of the other verses and read them in just a minute. But going back to uh, verse number 10 there, the fact is God keeps me, but there's a level to his keeping that is different from our level, so to speak. Okay, so let me explain this a little bit. Let's suppose uh, we have a missionary here that uh, visits our church, and they need to be housed someplace, and maybe we come to the church and say, hey, is there anybody in the ch uh, church that would like to have this missionary stay with them? And uh, sometimes people of our church volunteer to do that. When you volunteer to keep that missionary... You're expecting it to be a day or a few days, 
but you're not expecting it to be months and years or any other situation. You're not expecting it that way. Unless the person is very special to you. If it's your elderly parents, you may keep them for years. Or if it's your children, uh, even if they're adults and they, something happens and they need a, a place to stay for a few months, you'd open your house and say, stay with us. But it requires special people for that keeping that long to take place. And here God is described as keeping us, and yet he keeps us forever because he is a God who loves us that much. And it uses the phrase also in that uh, verse, the apple of his eye. Um, I looked it up. The apple of the eye is the pupil. Some of you have contacts just like I do. And uh, um, I remember the first time trying to get those contacts in. And I suspect everybody here who has it remembers that first time. It did not go well. Unless you're incredibly unusual, it did not go well. And I remember the contortions that took place to try to get it in the first time. And it took 10 or 15 minutes, and I was really frustrated. And when I finished, the optometrist actually complimented me and said, oh, I've seen lots of people take a whole lot longer than you. But I remember my hand was over here like this, and I was holding it up like this, and this hand was down here, and my eye did not want to be touched by my finger. And my body, my brain was saying, don't do this. Don't do it. And even though I, the other part of my brain was saying, you're supposed to do it, stick the finger in your eye, there was a part of me saying, uh-uh, don't do that. And that's a description here of God and the fact that here we have this pupil that we protect and my brain wanted to protect it from everything. And even today, if something comes at you fast, you go like this and you jump and you cover your face like that because you're protecting yourself. And God keeps me. God protects me that way. And Moses is, in, is um, uh, telling the people that, encouraging the people, refreshing them uh, as a result of how God keeps me. Look at verse 11. He tells me one more way of how God keeps. As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings, so the Lord alone led him and there was no foreign God with him. Verse number 10 there, the illustration of the eagle. Here's this uh, adult eagle, stirs up the nest, and the baby eaglet uh, jumps out of the nest and begins to fly. And uh, the flying may be going uh, well for a little bit, but not for very long. And either it's tired or it hasn't learned. And what does that adult eagle do? Swoops down underneath. And on its wings, it'll lift up the eaglet and bring it back up to a secure place. This summer, um, no, it wasn't this summer, it was a couple summers ago, we had the opportunity to go to Alaska. We went uh, and saw some whales, and there was a baby whale just learning how to uh, use its fin, and it was like a toddler that was toddling around in the ocean, and it was not steady and doing this like the adult, it was kind of wobbling back and forth all over the place, and it was fun to watch that. And here's the description of an eagle, an eagle at the same way. And yet there is a father 
or uh, an adult eagle that is swooping down and bringing it back up when it is struggling. And we have a Heavenly Father that does the same for us because he is keeping me. The third illustration of this keeping is found in verse number 13. It says there, And made him ride in the heights of the earth, that he might eat the produce of the fields. He made him draw honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rock. The idea of oil there, most people believe that it's talking about olive oil. And so this honey is in the rock as well. It's in a, in a place that is not only unproductive, but sometimes very hard to get to. Um, I saw a YouTube video a couple years ago of somebody, I think they were in Southeast Asia, who was trying to get honey from the hive. And they actually went by rope over the side of a mountain because there was a hive growing in the rocks in the side of the mountain. Took out a machete and as they're holding on to the rope, it's around their waist, but they're holding on with one hand, they're cutting a part of the hive out to get all that honey, and then I, they must have had gloves or something, I don't remember that, but they've got to have gloves. And uh, they're grabbing that honey and pulling it out. And here we have a description of God as well, who is providing the honey and the olive oil for us, and it sometimes comes in places that are that are hard. And think about the fact that God sometimes has us in very hard places, even hard for us to understand, difficult times. But what is he doing? He's providing for us. He's providing honey. He's providing that olive oil for us during the hard times as well. He's teaching us because he is keeping us. And then the last one found in verse number 14. Look what it says there curds from the cattle and milk of the flock with fat of lambs and rams of the breed of Bashan and goats with the choicest wheat and you drank wine the blood of the grapes. Here it shows that God is blessing us. It mentions Bashan, a very fertile place. And what does he describe? The best cheese, the best milk, the best meat, bread and wine. God was providing the, bless, the best for his people. And guess what? He still does that today. Now when I look at all these characteristics that we have about God, the fact that he is great, unchanging, he is our father, he keeps me, and he blesses me, why would I ignore him? And that's the rest of the, the Deuteronomy here in this song that was sung. They ignored him. We're guilty of the same thing. We ignore him. Are we consistently in his word? For those of you here who may have never trusted Christ as your Savior, have you heard the gospel before but just walked away? Today, you had the opportunity to hear about our great God who redeemed us, who, who redeems us. And that redemption is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we have the opportunity to have a personal relationship with him. Will you walk away from that today? Or will you trust him as your savior? And for those of us, most of us in this room have trusted Christ as our savior, but as we walk day to day, do we ignore scripture? I know what the Bible says, 
but I just don't want to do it. And I walk away and I ignore a father who loves me as it was just described in Deuteronomy 32. May that not be true for us. May we be a people that we get refreshment from studying God's word. And every day we are refreshed in it. That was Moses' prayer, his song for his people Israel. May these words that I speak to you this day be refreshing words just like the rain. And may the words that we've heard today be refreshing to us as we meditate and think about who our God is and how we can know him more each day. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for what we have heard this morning and grateful for the fact that we have such a God who loves us when we, as described in verse 5, are crooked and perverse, and yet you keep us because you love us so much. And we're thankful for that, and may we constantly be thinking about that so that we have the refreshment that comes from knowing a God such as you, a Father such as you. And may this day be one where we walk away refreshed by what we've heard uh, this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name.